songs to them. <coughs> the passage we'll be looking at today includes at least one song, two songs, sort of. We finished up Gospel of Luke, I believe, last time I spoke, and or like last time I spoke here. And so I'm going to start over in Luke chapter 1. And what I want to do yeah, for my own benefit and uh, your <laughs> suffering as it may be, to kind of now that now that I've taken a look at the details and kind of gotten a little bit of a grasp on what some of these things are talking about, to kind of step back and see the forest instead of the trees, and take a bird's eye view and try to tie and look at it section by section and try to try to tie the sections together and see the flow of thought that Luke is trying to bring out bring out here. So this morning we'll look at the first section which which starts in chapter one and ends at the end of chapter two. The section contains two primary parts, which is chapter one and chapter two are each kind of divided and there's little subdivisions inside of that. We're going to try to identify or try to bring out the uh, overriding theme, the concept, <clears throat> concepts that Luke is bringing before us. Let's read a couple verses and pay attention here <clears throat> to the description that's given to us as we read of. Uh, as we're introduced to the first couple of characters in the book. And these people will play a major role in the first half of this section this morning, and then after that we won't hear much of them at all. So Luke chapter 1, verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. And before we go on fire, let's pause and ask the Lord for his blessing. Father, we come before you this morning, and we do look to you to provide uh, the sustenance that we need, the encouragement and the blessing as we look into your word. Help us to understand the relevance of the, the truth that you are conveying here through your word as we begin to look at the introduction and the arrival of your son on this planet. So we ask for your help and your blessing in Jesus' name, amen. So as we uh, look at this description of Zachariah and Elizabeth, we see is it's, these people here are impressive. He was a, he was a priest of the division of Abijah. His wife was also a Levite. They were righteous before God, rocking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. A very nice description. In, the, in their society, it was the it was the priests as far because they're people under God. They've been given their Judean religion, their rituals, and all of their belief system and everything. And it was the priests that were between them and God. So to be a priest was a very high level in society. And this was a good priest. He was blameless. And so we see somebody 
that's elevated in society. And yet, as the story goes on, we find, you know, it, it, we read about how they don't have any children, which gives us a little bit of a backdrop between these, in this, in this couple. And then you've got that well-known story where that angel appears to him as he's in the temple and he's ministering to God and uh, right in the holy place where there's not supposed to be anybody else, right next to the altar of incense is this angel. And it says in verse 12, when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. And the angel said, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. He goes on to talk about, describe this son, how he will be great in the sight of the Lord and how he would work to turn people toward the Lord. But in verse 18, Zacharias says to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place. So we see that Almost shockingly, as that angel is standing there, giving him a message from God that Zechariah has a little trouble believing it. He says, "This, how, I, great. I mean, it's a great promise that you bring me that this that we will have a son and everything like that. But I need some kind of sign or something to confirm the reality of what you're saying, so that I can know that it's actually true." And the angel says, "That doesn't make any sense. I'm an angel from God. What do you expect, an angel from God? I mean." I stand in the presence of God and you're asking me if I'm telling you a fib type of thing. And so he's made mute and the people waited for Zacharias. I don't know if the conversation took a long time, but I imagine as Zacharias stood there in the holy place and tried to operate his vocal cords and found out they didn't work, trying to figure out what am I going to do now? Uh, i got to offer these prayers up to God. I can't. Uh, I'm sense, and then you got to go all stand out in front of all the people and everybody's going to see you're mute and everything and it's super embarrassing. It, it, let me, I guarantee you, it's super embarrassing to have an angel tell you something, not believe him, and then have, you, have him call you out on it. That is like, you don't want to go around bragging like, yeah, an angel from God came and I didn't believe him. No. That's, that's, especially if you're a priest. And you, and you approach God on a regular basis. So he, he finally comes out, couldn't speak, and they figured he saw a vision. And it says at the end of this little story here, this first paragraph, in verse 24, it says, In those days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from among, from among my people. So she hid. She, when she... When, when she became pregnant, she hid. She didn't go out and tell everybody. She didn't throw a party. She didn't have a, uh, what do you call shower, baby shower. She hid. She said, this is what the Lord has done to us. The this, this shame of going around and telling everybody, yes, we have a baby. It was like the angel told us. You know, that angel that my husband, the priest, didn't believe. He just, they were humbled. They were really, they went from up high and they brought down low. Now the second story then begins in verse 26, and again it was it talks about the angel Gabriel being sent to God or sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed of a man. So here we got another description, new character introduced. This was a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now you notice how this is all switched around. 
When we were introduced to Zacharias, a certain priest named Zacharias, and he was of this family, and he had this wife. Her name was Elizabeth, and this one, now we come up here, and it's like, there was a young girl, she was engaged to this fellow, he was the son of David, and uh, now we have her name is Mary. It's like, she's described as a nobody, which is different than what we think of her. Today, when we look back, we say, oh, Mary, the mother, you know, of, of Jesus, but at that point in time, she was a young girl, was engaged, happily engaged to this fellow, and uh, her name was Mary, almost as an afterthought type of thing. So she's a very average, nothing really special about her. Her life is exciting at the moment, but there's not a whole lot exciting about her. And the angel comes and tells her that she's going to have a son. So we see that there's some similarities now between Zacharias they both and Mary. They both have an angel that comes to them, and the angel delivers to them a message from God that they're going to have a son. And uh, they're both told that the son will be great. The angel tells Mary that, uh, in verse 31, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth the son. You shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. <clears throat> the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. So again, Luke was, or uh, Zacharias was told that John the Baptist would be a great man, and now Mary is told that her son would be great as well. And then it says in verse 34 that Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I don't know a man? And her question seems very similar to Zacharias, but the angel's response is very different. He doesn't say to her, well, I am an angel before God. You should believe this. Instead, he answers her question, says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of highest. This is how it's going to work. And you're not going to actually need a husband in order to conceive this child. It's going to happen before you ever get married. And then he tells her about how Elizabeth now has a son and, and that and God is able to do all things. And so Mary says, Well, behold, the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So we see a very different response. Seems the stories seem very similar, even up to the question as they each of them ask. Zacharias is like, well, how can I know this? And, and Mary's like, well, how can this be? But the angel's response to each of them is very different. And as we read the next paragraph, we begin to see why the difference. Uh, verse 39 talks about Mary taking off and going off to visit Elizabeth. She's very excited for Elizabeth, wants to see her. And then Elizabeth says in verse 45, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. So Mary believed. And that's, she, when the angel brought her the word, she, she received it. She's like, well, this is amazing. I don't know how this can possibly happen since I'm not married, but, I mean, it's amazing. And so uh, she receives the blessing from the angel. Now, the way Luke tells the story, though, is first he, when, he, when Mary comes to Elizabeth, what you see is that Elizabeth says something very interesting. She says in verse 42, Blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And so she expresses this, this is, this is not right. She says, you shouldn't come to visit me, or why should you come visit me? Why would you humble yourself to come to my house? It was a very interesting way to look at it because when we're introduced to the two people, we've got the exalted couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth, you know, they described as a very, I mean, it would seem right then that this one who's going to bear the Messiah would go to see a priest because the priest, I mean, that's, I mean, that's who you would go to first places to see the priest. But Elizabeth's got this whole thing turned around now. She says, 
why are you coming down now to see me? I mean, why, why would you bother yourself to visit me? So great was her humiliation to be brought down from where they were up on top. Now her husband's made mute, mute for not believing an angel. And they're brought down low. So that now this one who has received the blessing from the Lord to come visit them, she's just blown away that she would do that. In case we don't quite catch what Luke is driving at, he includes this psalm of Mary in uh, verse 46. Notice how often she brings up lowly, exalted, and a swapping of the two. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. Behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. She, she, she acknowledges she was just a lowly maidservant. She wasn't anybody special. But from here on out, people are going to look at her as being one of the blessed. So she, I've been taken from the lowly state, she says, and now people will recognize me for my blessed. Verse 49, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. God has done wonderful things to her, and that's why she is now no longer just a regular lowly maiden. She's now greatly blessed. It's because of what God has done for her. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. So now we got the proud who are up high. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. So Luke is, I mean, is, is being brought out, or the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us that, hey, what I want you to realize is that there are people who are elevated in society and their people are lowly, and what we're going to see is the great change where the lowly are going to be lifted up and the exalted are going to be brought down low. High and low is the focus of this first part here. So we got Zacharias and Elizabeth were up high, have been brought down low. But they're not left in the low position. As the story continues in verse 47, it tells us about how Elizabeth brought forth the son. And when the neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy, they rejoiced with her and they come. And then there's this debate. Luke includes this little debate about the baby's name. What are we going to call the baby? Firstborn son, he should carry the name of his father. And they said, and, and his mother spoke up. She said, no, that's, and that was kind of probably a little bit out of place for her, maybe, I don't know. To say that he should be called John. And they said, well, this doesn't make any sense. Then so they go talk to Zacharias. And Zacharias grabs a writing tablet and he says, his name is John. And they were all marveled, they all amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, praising God. And fear came on all who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed through all the hill country of Judea. And those who heard them kept them in their hearts said, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And that kind of brings closure to this portion of the section. It's kind of like a, the hand of the Lord was with him describes the child growing up and the hand of the Lord was with him. So we see 
the thought kind of comes to a close. And what we see at the close of this thought is Zachariah is exalted again. Everybody is just amazed at this guy, what God, I mean, what kind of, God has obviously been working in this guy's life. I mean, look, he was quiet for a long time. Now, amazingly, miraculously, they have a baby child. And now Zacharias can speak again. I mean, like God is involved here. You don't see this in every hospital birth occurrence. This is really abnormal. Clearly, God is involved. And they're all amazed. And we're just going to keep an eye on this family and see what happens here. The key to Zacharias' transformation from, being, from his humbled position was his declaration that his name shall be called John, the name that was given to him by the angel. Acknowledging the word of the angel, that what the angel said was true, brings him back up. So it's, the, we, we see a, 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 a emphasis on exalted and lowly and the swapping of two positions. And the swapping has to do with whether a person believes the word of God, they are lifted up. If they do not believe the word of God, they are brought down low. And furthermore, it seems to be those who are humble are the ones who are more likely to believe and be exalted than those who are exalted. The ones who are exalted are the ones that will not believe. And the reason is, because when, we, when we're, at least from my person, when we get into a place where we're, We've made it. We've arrived. We're, we've got respect. We're doing good before God. We're not dependent on God. We've, we're standing where we ought to. We're doing well. We're not looking to God to provide our every need. Now, when you're low down and you're really, you're not sure where the next meal might come from, you're always dependent upon God. You're always looking to Him. And there, and as, as a result of looking to God, you're finding that He provides. And you, the reason you look to God is because you know that in his word he says, trust in me. And so you trust in him and then you find he provides. And so you're used to, you learn to trust God. You learn to put your confidence in his word. You learn to believe in him. And then when that big message comes along, when Mary received that message from the angel, it was just another step in believing the word of God. So if you're humble and you're dependent upon God, uh, you're believing his word. If you're exalted and you've got your position and you're in the place where you ought to be and you're not dependent upon God, you're not looking to his word. You're not looking to him. And so Zachariah finds himself, or Zacharias finds himself in a position, off a position where he's, uh, his unbelief is made obvious. But there's like a little epilogue Verse 67 continues on, and Zacharias says, look, blessed, he says in verse 68, blessed, he's filled with the Spirit, so he's, he's speaking truth now. He says, blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As, and he goes on and he talks about how God will provide salvation as a result of listening, or remembering his covenant with Abraham. And, uh, Verse 77, he talks about how he will give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us. So Zechariah says, look, he takes this concept of high and low and he applies it then to the children of Israel. And he says, Israel, 
We are in a lousy place. We are in a bad position. We are, we are brought down low. We are, we are in desperate need of God to save us from our sin. I don't know if Zacharias would have recognized that at the beginning of chapter 1, that they were in a desperate position in need of God's salvation for their sin, because he was a priest that approached God all the time. And now he has reached that point. He says, this high-low business, this is critical, because we as a nation need to recognize we are low. The reality is we are low. Whether we recognize it or not, we are there. And we need God's salvation. And we look forward to God's salvation. And God's salvation is here to deliver us from our sin. So, as Luke puts this together, he starts to help us realize what this high-low business is about. That person who is lowly is somebody who has recognized the the desperation of their situation because of their sin. And the person who is elevated is somebody who has, they're doing well. They don't, they're not looking to God to deliver them because they've already been delivered, so to speak. They're, they're up on a high rock. They're, they're secure. <clears throat> that ends the first half of the section and in chapter 2, now we are introduced to the Messiah as he comes. And as it opens up, again we've got a description. Uh, they're supposed to go to their hometowns to be registered for taxation purposes. And this is Rome, Caesar Augustus, that has sent out the decree. And so notice how in verse 4 it talks about how Joseph went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was there, while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. The way he writes this, it's intended to drive our focus on a sharp declining slope so to speak, as far as the level of society. We talk about Caesar Augustus, who's on top, and he's putting out this decree. We see Joseph, who was of the tribe and lineage of David. He was a descendant of David. He's supposed to be on top, but we find instead that he's under the thumb of this Roman Caesar, and he's going to be, he's actually going to pay taxes to the Roman. Just completely backwards. He is so humbled, but not just him, but his own child is humble. They don't even have a place to stay. There's not room in the hospital full of COVID patients or what have you. And, he's per and she's giving birth to this child and wrapping him not in baby clothes, but in little, you know, cloths and putting him in a manger. I mean, humble, lowly. The, the imagery is so strong and so vivid. He's trying to describe to us the utter humility of the Messiah. Now, in verse 8 there, in the same country, there was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good tidings of great joy. This angel's busy. 
which will be to all people, for it is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So, like, to me, it just blows me away to see how they describe this. You got this angel that comes and he talks about the coming Messiah. You don't get this very often. This is kind of a rare occasion that an angel comes and proclaims a baby's birth. In fact, this only happened once in the history of mankind that an angel showed up to say, hey, a baby's been born. You need to go see this baby. He is Christ the Lord. He is the epitome. Everything that humanity has been waiting for and looking towards, it's been building up, building up, and now we've arrived at the peak. How are you going to go find him? Which hospital? Look for a baby with a halo on his head. And he says in verse 12, he says, This will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The angel is like, I'm telling you, the epitome of all mankind has come, and you will find him at the lowest spot. This will be a sign to you. How are you going to identify the Messiah? Look for the lowest spot, because that's, that's what he's like. He's, he's, he's lowly. Now, as we, Luke points out to us that this was told to the shepherds which is instructive in itself. Uh, it just adds to the, the thrust of the message. Uh, a shepherd. As I understand it, in them days, a shepherd was, was way down there. Wasn't quite a tax collector, but it wasn't much above it. And the reason was, they had to keep watch over their sheep. They didn't have electric fences and barbed wire and stuff like that, or, or netted wiring. You can't put sheep in barbed wire to get themselves tied in knots. But they didn't have that, so it was really tough to make the Sabbath service. Or like the feasts at Jerusalem. To go to a feast where everybody's supposed to go, it was really tough to do it. If you did, you had to leave somebody else behind to watch your flock for you. So no matter what, you were causing somebody to live in sin, whether it was yourself or somebody else, because you were keeping an eye on the sheep. So they were really low down on the society. Why would God make the announcement to them? And the reason is because in God's mind, the shepherds were very much like his son. And his son being the highest of the high, these guys were emulating his son. Because a shepherd... When to what to get to be of a shepherd mentality to watch the sheep, you have to uh, you got to devote your life to the sheep. This is not you. You don't just uh, like today. It's pretty easy. You just grab some sheep, you throw them on a fence, and you forget about them until until you know for every twelve hours you have to go and feed them or whatever. But in that day, you had to live with them buggers or them animals, and they. Uh, uh, Why would you do it? Why would you pick the career shepherd? Well, you wouldn't do it for fame. It's not like you come walk along the road and somebody's like, hey, what do you do for a living? I'm a shepherd. Oh, a shepherd? No, it's not like that. It's more like, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a Walmart reader. Oh, it's nice to know you. Except for it's, you don't do it for the fame. 
You don't do it for the money. You don't get rich off of raising sheep. You do it because the sheep needs somebody to take care of them. And it's kind of weird because they're sheep. And you're a man. Why should man devote his life to take care of sheep? Their animals should be the other way around. They should be feeding you. But no, you feed them. And that's what a shepherd does, is that the sheep are everything to him. He gives his, his they're, they're all his life. He is excited to see the lamb being born. He is thrilled to find a lost sheep and bring them back to watch over them, to deliver them from the enemy, from the, from the wild beasts and everything. I mean, that's, he lives for that. That's, it's, it's so, such a reward for him to see, see the sheep doing well. And I think it's because that parallels the Lord so much. We, I mean, he's the highest of high, and he comes down, he becomes, he takes on flesh and blood, like we were talking this morning. He take, partakes of flesh and blood, like he's one of us. Like he's, like it's his life to see us live. I mean, that's everything to him. We should be serving him. We should be, we should, we should be glorifying, we should, I mean, something, but no, he serves us. He finds us when we're lost. He, he provides us the food from his word. He, he's given us the Holy Spirit. He watches out against our enemies and he protects us and he, he devotes his life for the sheep. So these people were like, they were, they, they, saw, they, were, they were good, these shepherds were good emulators of his son. And so it seemed fitting then to tell them that uh, he'd arrived. And they go off to see the baby well, yeah, you know, the angels, they said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill to men. They saw the glory of the Lord. Not, not the glory of God and all of His shining Shekinah glory, but the glory of God in His character, that He cares for these people. This is amazing, they said. This, you, don't believe, you won't understand the glory that we see here. It's not a shining glory, but the glory of His character. Glory to God in the highest. Such is his arrival down to the lowest place. Because that's who he is. That's, he doesn't, doesn't try to ascend to the highest point. He, he tends to get down low so that he can help the people who are in that Israel who thinks they're so great but they're in real sad state. Well, he's going to go down where they're at. That's just the way he is. You want to find the Messiah, this will be the sign. You will find him down amidst the lowest of his people. The humblest. Now, after this, there's a lot that happens we know that uh, Herod gets a little bit, I mean, the, the wise men, they come to Jerusalem, and Herod gets a little bit concerned about that, and, sends out the, and Luke says none of that. He doesn't tell us any of that. Instead, he draws our attention to the time when uh, the circumcision of a child, apparently, they went from Bethlehem up to Jerusalem to perform the circumcision. This, I didn't, they didn't always do that, the Jews. But I suppose Joseph, being... Not, now he's not up in Nazareth. He's down by Bethlehem, which is a far, far bit closer to Jerusalem. He's like, let's, let's take this opportunity. We're here, and uh, we can do this at the temple. 
But more, he wanted to offer sacrifice. This is a weird part. They wanted to bring the sacrifice, according to the law of Moses, in verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. The point of this sacrifice, the firstborn son, ever since the days of Exodus in Egypt, when they left, God said the firstborn children will be mine, and if you want to, if you, if you don't want to turn them over to me, then you need to offer up a sacrifice. Then you redeem them from me, and they become your son again. That's what they're doing. They're redeeming the child, the Lord Jesus, from God to them. Now he becomes their son. He is, he is not only physically a child, a human being, but he becomes, uh, I don't know if legally is the right word, but kind of sort of legally before God, now he becomes theirs. He is truly a man. He who is the Son of God. And as soon as that happens, as soon as he becomes officially man, and, and, and using the wrong words, but I hope you get what I'm talking about. As soon as he becomes officially man, behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout. Oh, he's kind of like Zacharias. He was just and devout too. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. This guy's maybe a little bit different than Zacharias. It had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit of the temple. He believed it. The Spirit told him, and he believed the word. So when the parents uh, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to custom of law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. You told me I would get to see him, and it's come true. I believed you, and it's come true. Here he is, and I've seen him. I'm, I'm ready to go. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared. Now listen, as he goes through here, how much he uh, alludes or references prophecies in the Old Testament. Your salvation. That's an allusion to prophets in the Old Testament would speak of the salvation of God, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to Gentiles. If I'm not mistaken, that comes out of Isaiah 42. He alludes to that. The glory of your people Israel. It's like this guy was full of the word of God. like he, And he believed every word of it. This was stuff that... Like most Jews didn't apparently believe or didn't understand the reality of what God was doing when he sent the Messiah, that he would be a light to the Gentiles. They thought of him as their deliverer, the one who would destroy the Gentiles and, and lift up the, the Jews. But no, Simeon got it. He understood the word of God. That was part of his thinking. He said, he will be a light revelation to Gentiles. And, and as Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were, speaking, which were spoken of him, Simeon continues on. He blessed them. He said to Mary, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul. That comes out of Zechariah, if I'm not mistaken, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That might come on the end of Malachi. I mean, this guy was saturated with the word of God. But he says... It's all about people that are high will fall and people that are low will be raised up. And the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. We know what he's talking about because we were looking at Zechariah and we saw that Zechariah was a just man. We're like, this guy, is, he's the stuff. 
But then the thoughts of his heart were revealed, and he was humbled before God. But God didn't leave him in that position. As, as he wrote down on that tablet, his name will be John. His thoughts of his heart will be revealed. He believed God, and he was exalted again. I mean, it's this one, this son that you hold in your arms, says Simeon, he's going to expose everybody. There's going to be some that are high in Israel. They're going to be brought down, much like Zechariah was. There's some that are low in Israel. They're going to be lifted up, much like Zechariah and Elizabeth were. And it will all depend on whether they receive the word of God, receive, actually, he says, receive the word of this boy. If they will receive his word, they will be raised up. Their thoughts will be exposed. And as we go through Luke, we saw that this happens time and time again. Thoughts are exposed. People that were high are brought down low. People that are low are raised up. Now notice, he brings to us Anna, Luke does, he, there was one Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was a great age, had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. This woman was a widow, about 84 years. What could she do for God? I mean, she was as little as, I mean, there was like, you don't get a, in that culture, you didn't get a career as a woman. You weren't usually trained. You were, you were trained to operate your household. So if you were without a husband, there wasn't a welfare system that you could depend on. You had to depend on the Lord all the time. And she did. She did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. The coming of the Messiah was something that she latched on to. Coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. You want to get a hint of what kind of people are going to be brought into the rising part that Simeon talked about. She's a perfect example. As a widow, she was very humble as far as society was concerned. In her heart, she was looking for the redemption that God was bringing to Israel she was praying and fasting before God all the time. She knew of a lot of people who were also looking for redemption. They had the same mindset, the same heart. And as soon as she met, as soon as she got a chance to see this baby, and there he is, he's there, she told all her friends who had that same heart. People who were looking for the redemption of God. Not the, not the, necessarily the military redemption per se, but the redemption that's, that Zacharias talked about being delivered from sin, of true redemption. Looking for that, they are the ones who are going to be blessed through this little baby child. And so when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Again, that's another kind of a closing little comment, similar to what we had with uh, when John the Baptist was born. But it continues. The section doesn't end. It's like a little epilogue. And he tells us a little, a little story when Jesus, when he was 12 years old, and he goes up to Jerusalem to the Passover, and he stayed behind while his parents headed back up to Nazareth. And uh, they didn't find him. They come back. They're looking for him. Takes them a few days. They finally find him in the temple. And, and uh, his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? 
Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. We've been looking all over the place for you. Why didn't you come along on the caravan? You knew we were headed back. You're 12 years old. You know better. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? I mean, that's who he was, the Son of God. But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. Unreal. The Son of God was subject to these lowly parents. It's, it's so weird to see this because he was about his father's business. He was doing what God wanted him to do at the temple. Therefore, it was the will of God that he be at the temple, right? And his parents come and say, you come with us. And he went subject to them, like their word. Well, how are you going to put this? <laughs> you gonna, their word trumped God? That doesn't even make sense. But he submitted to them. He was a man. He wasn't going to pull the, divine's, the, the divine card. Sorry, Mom. You're just flesh. I'm divine, so I'm going to stay the devil. He was subject to them. He really became one of us. And this would be the characteristic of his life when he's on there. That We will see that at the end of his life, he will sub it will be the will of God that he do or that he subject himself to whatever people decide to do with him. That will be God's will. But that's what he is like. I am meek and lowly in heart, he said. He wasn't kidding. Nor was he bragging. That, was, that is who he is. This is the sign you will find him in the lowest place. It's all about high and low, exalted and humble. The reversal of that will depend on their believing the word of God will actually depend on their believing the Lord Jesus. They believe his word, they'll be exalted, they disregard his word, they'll be humbled. But he is not coming as a dictator. He is coming more like a shepherd whose life is consumed to by the sheep. That's everything to him. Their, their comfort, their well-being, their protection for us. He does not stand above us. He stands among us. makes so much more sense now we talk about in the new, later on in the New Testament we talk about the Lord being exalted he doesn't leave us behind where he goes we are such is the Savior that Luke wants to present to us Father I just want to pause and thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ the great glory of his character and of his person who he is to reach down, not
not just to reach down, to come down among us and to save us from our sin. Thank you for him. In his name, amen.